Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. Many people feel powerless in the face of what we see on TV or read in the news, a world in crisis with war, violence, so much going on taking place across the planet. Do you want to step out of the hopelessness and apply your personal skills to do something meaningful about the challenges now facing us? Humanity now has the experience, knowledge, and tools to prevent and resolve conflict. Let me say that again. Humanity now has the experience, knowledge, and tools to prevent and resolve conflict. And our guest today offers the business plan for peace, an ambitious long-term solution that challenges the status quo. Isn't that beautiful? The business plan for peace. I invite you to take a few deep breaths, open your heart and mind, and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest, Dr. Scylla Elworthy, turns vision into action three times nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize for developing effective dialogue between nuclear weapons policymakers worldwide and their critics with the Oxford Research Group, founded in 1982. Peace Direct goes from strength to strength under brilliant young leadership, founded by Scylla in 2002 to fund, promote, and learn from local peace builders in conflict areas. Scylla was advisor to Archbishop Desmond Tutu and Sir Richard Branson in setting up the elders and was awarded the Nuano Peace Prize in 2003. Today, her full attention is on developing business plan for peace, resulting from her 2017 book, The Business Plan for Peace, Building a World Without War. Her TED Talk, on nonviolence has been viewed by over 1,400,000 people worldwide. I'm so happy to have her back on the show. Welcome, Scylla. Nice to be with you, Julie. Thank you. I'm really happy to have you back. And I just um, want to just presence this book that I'm holding in my hand for our listeners. If they haven't seen this or heard about this yet, you are going to love it. It's like this really nice manual guide that all of us can can use in our life for so many reasons and it is a real comprehensive business plan for peace so i'm looking forward to digging into this Scylla, and helping our listeners see what they could do to to create a world without war and really build on what you're talking about in the book here. But first I have a traditional first question. You answered it a couple of years ago for me when you're here. And I always love to ask it again because I get the best answers no matter when I ask it. So Scylla, for you, can you share with our listeners, what does all things connected mean to you? Ah, that's a very good question. Um, I was, um, I think I was taught on this issue by Archbishop Desmond Tutu, 
whose um, phrase for this is Ubuntu. It's a, it's a word used by the Zulus in Southern Africa. And it means I am because you are. In other words, we are all connected. And that to me is um, a very succinct way of um, putting this idea across, but also it's, um, it's in use in Southern Africa. I lived there for 10 years and the feeling of togetherness and uh, link, particularly between the women is absolutely tangible. One can feel it everywhere. So I do, um, I do strongly recommend that word Ubuntu to back up what you've just said, Julie. Mm, Ubuntu. How I'm just, I really want to just pause there because I, I know that's an important process. And, and you're saying you can feel it in the culture. You can feel it with the women. How, where, where are the seeds for that? That is in culture that, that perhaps I know it guides your work as well. Just this whole idea has guided your work for peace, but where, how can we all pick up the concept of Ubuntu and, and really make that be a living part of our culture? Well, first of all, by Googling the phrase, it's spelt U-B-U-N-T-U. And um, it's prevalent in Southern Africa in the way that for some people in the North and the West, Christianity is, or uh, for people further afield, Buddhism or Taoism. But the key issue is that we're able to open our hearts as you just suggested earlier, to other people, even if we don't know them personally, or even if we don't agree with them. And um, I love the way that HeartMath, based uh, in Boulder Creek in California, have uh, researched the way that our hearts can actually resonate with one another uh, it's beautiful science that they've woven in with spiritual teachings. Um, and I'm very much convinced of it. I can tell you more about how it works if you like. But I, I was with them recently and learned exactly how they do it. And I'm very impressed. Yeah, the heart math and their, their co coherence techniques and, and creating global coherence, they're really doing a beautiful service to all of humanity. So, you know, if our listeners are curious, go to heartmath.com and, and check that out or heartmath.org. It's the Heart Math Institute. Thank yeah. you. And, and encouraging us to, to Google that and, and to explore that because I think that it is an organic thing of when we really understand that, we can pick it up and, and use it in our own unique way. Ways that can guide our life really it's it's a value that um is is like a shared value for all of us right it is indeed a shared value for all of us and very precious too because um we need more than ever now in this world that we live in that feeling of connection so many people feel separated they feel alone they feel they don't belong they don't have a feeling of self-identity in a group. So uh, the more that those listening to your show and those looking into their own hearts can find a way to reach out um, 
spiritually and also to reach out in their hearts tangibly to other people, the more that will benefit the world. Beautiful. Well, that's a beautiful prescription as we turn our attention here into the business plan for peace. And we, we need to begin with the problem of war. And your book begins with the problem of war. So let's let's begin there, Scylla. Why is it in the global interest to stop war? And what is the story of war? It's really a, a long story of war. And you speak of, of specific the drivers of war, the economics of war. You do a really good comprehensive um, dive into understanding it. But what can you share with us today about the, literally, the problem of war? Let's begin there. Well, I could go back into the, into the history of war, but I think that might be um, taking up rather a lot of time. So let me just bring our attention to the three most recent major wars, namely uh, Afghanistan, Iraq, and now Syria. None of these wars has been effective or successful in resolving conflict. None of these countries are at peace as a result of throwing the full might of the um, militaries of various countries, uh, in two cases the American military, and the loss of so many precious lives on both sides, those of the civilians who have been herded and bombed and uh, rushing uh, away from the terror and into the most pitifully ill-equipped refugee camps. So what we've witnessed here is the debris of war in human cost and in the huge costs of the military um, I believe last year the world spent $1,739 billion on militarization, whereas we know from the facts provided by the UN that simply $31 billion would be able to provide uh, uh, education for all and $11 billion would provide clean water for all. So um, when I did the calculations on the business plan for peace, what we did was to scale up 25 tried and tested initiatives that we know from our experience all over the world work effectively to prevent war. When I scaled those 25 up over a 10-year period, the total cost of all that came to only $2 billion. So we're, we've become in a rather, we've got ourselves into an insane, not to mention um, really, really horrible position where we're spending so much money on militarization that doesn't work to resolve conflicts when we could be spending a fraction of that on issues um, and the strategies that actually effectively prevent war. Yeah, when you write about the money in the book, it really is astounding. I it just paused in in a disbelief, and and even looking at your strategies, and I know it doesn't simplicity isn't probably the right word for that, but it does seem like there's a simplicity 
in following your your 25 tried and true principles that you bring forward and for a fraction of the cost even for a fraction of what the u.s spends on yeah julie and they're not just principles they are strategies let me give you an example um when nelson mandela came out of jail in 1989 he realized that south africa was a candidate for civil war because lots of uh bodies were offering weapons to him and his colleagues as they came out of jail to fight the <clears throat> South African regime, which was a very cruel and vicious regime. I, I know because I lived there for 10 years. And Ma- Mandela realized he had to prevent civil war. So he set up a system which included peace councils at the national level right through to the village level costing a fraction of what it would cost to have a civil war. And these councils were composed of people trusted by the locals. In other words, uh, the head of the fire brigade, uh, the head teachers, the uh, religious leaders, the, the midwives, the sports personalities, all those were elected onto these peace commissions and their job was to develop a peace plan for their area. So as soon as violence erupted, they would put the peace plan into action and it worked. There was very, very few deaths during that tense period between 89 and when the elections were first held in 1994. Now, two other countries, Kenya and Ghana, have taken the lead from this experience and passed legislation for their own what's called an architecture of peace, having peace councils at every level. And now what we want to do in the business plan for peace is help three or four other countries that want to establish such a system. And it costs peanuts. It costs only two and a half million dollars to set up such a peace council system and only I think it's $500,000 to keep the training going year by year. So that's just one example of a very effective way to stop killing happening in the first place. Scylla, so there, there are many of these strategies in here. And, and I just want to really acknowledge that this is a, the piece the business plan for peace is so comprehensive. It's like a meta strategy. It's like the super organism for all of the peace initiatives that are out there that can really hold, communicate so much together. There's, it, it's very thoughtful. I, I love the depth and the breadth that you cover. Can you give us a few more examples of these principles and these strategies of how we can literally, if we work together on this planet, be, how the governments can work, and then we can move into what our listeners can do, because you you have a whole section of the book on, on what the reader can do. But literally, the peace plan is so comprehensive. It's a meta design. It's brilliant. Thank you, Julie. It's, it's lovely to have your encouragement on this, because um, this can be a difficult job to do. Um, Another example that I would give you, which we're working on right now, is persuading the NATO nations, 
that's all the nations in the NATO alliance, to develop conflict prevention budgets as long, alongside their defense budgets. Why? Because we know from a wonderful publication called Understand to Prevent, written by seven NATO nations, that soldiers are very, very good at preventing conflict. They have the skills, they have the discipline, they have the equipment, they have the mobility. But unless they have a budget to do prevention, um, they are not entitled to do so. So we're in discussion with one particular member nation of the NATO alliance, and they want to lead a meeting to engage other member nations in a discussion as to how they can set up a conflict prevention budget alongside their military defense budget. And that would entitle these highly trained soldiers to put their skills into action. And uh, I believe it's the right moment for that, because as we know, um, military action is becoming more and more digitalized. It's becoming more and more conducted at distance through drones and so forth. And so boots on the ground are not needed so much for actual fighting, but they are needed for the prevention of war, and they do it very, very well. So that's just one other example, and I can give you lots more. Yeah, you tell a story in the book of a soldier who walked through a village and, and the tensions rose up so high. And, and can you tell that story? I think it's really effective, and it's just one of those goosebump moments that you go, of course. Yes, well, um, he was a very brave young U.S. Lieutenant Colonel. His name was Chris Hughes, and he was leading his men through a street in Najaf in Iraq just after the American invasion in 2003. And suddenly, out of the houses and mosques on both sides of the road came furiously angry men screaming and yelling and waving their fists and screaming in Arabic, and these young soldiers, American soldiers, didn't understand a word and were very frightened. Not so Chris Hughes. He was so present that he strode right into the middle of the throng with his weapon pointed at the ground and gave his men an order they had never heard in their lives, kneel. And so they wobbled to the ground in their heavy armor, their heavy body armor and their packs and their helmets and pointed their guns into the sand. And the whole crowd grew silent. And after two or three minutes, everybody went home. So the presence of mind of this young Lieutenant Colonel was so acute that he prevented a massacre. It would have either been the soldiers letting fire with their automatics, or it would have been a lynching. And his ingenious and brilliant intervention saved so many lives. Yeah, hearing you speak that story is, is 
even more powerful than reading it in the book. Thank you. I think that that's an, a beautiful example of the the shifting terrain and the potential of these soldiers. So when you're inviting them into peacekeeping instead of war, one of the things that I thought was fascinating about your conversation in the book was the discussion of humiliation. Uh-huh. And I don't think so. I don't think many of us think deep enough about understanding what's at the root of violence here. And when, when you spoke of humiliation, it was like this, an aha moment, like, yes, of course. Can you speak about humiliation? Yes. Well, <clears throat> what, what we notice again and again in any kind of violence, whether it's verbal violence in a family or physical violence, is that very often that violence is driven by humiliation. It's, it's the biggest driver of violence that I know. And the only effective antidote to humiliation is respect. So if you think about any violent situations you may have been in, I'm speaking to the listeners now, if you think about any violent situation you may have been in and think what caused that attack or that insult, you probably can trace it down to that person having been humiliated. And I would encourage you, difficult though it is, and I know how difficult it is, to respond with some gesture of respect. And I think this is what your program is all about, Julie, in that we can learn through this kind of teaching that there are ways to deal with violence in our own lives that work just as instantly and as acutely as that young Lieutenant Colonel did in saving lives. I can say more in that if you want me to. Well, I I would love to hear you speak a little bit more on that because I think it also brings into um, just the essence of the role of women as well. And and our oppression and the violence against women is one of those deep roots along with that humiliation. Yes, you're quite right to put your finger on that. And, And it is the hardest one for us women to deal with because many of us will know that we are routinely put down or uh, insulted uh, or humiliated. And it's very difficult for us not to react with some kind of verbal violence or um, really tricky behavior um, when when we're dealt with in that way. And I find that <clears throat> if I am being attacked or insulted, the best thing I can do is what you said at the beginning of this program, which is to breathe deeply. Because HeartMath Institute have found out that when we're attacked, our heart rate variability goes very jagged <clears throat> and very uneven. And that means that the blood doesn't get to the brain. And the problem then is that we can't think straight. We're zigzagging in every way. And we're incoherent, if you like. 
So the most important thing we can do in that moment is to breathe very deeply to the heart. And if possible, to put into our hearts a feeling of connection or warmth, if possible, or forgiveness, or even just kindness towards the person who may have been humiliating us. I know it sounds incredibly difficult to do, and our reaction, our normal reaction is rage and um, a furious attack back or some kind of defense. But if we can simply breathe and breathe calmness and breathe our own sense of security and safety, then we will have helped to heal what could otherwise have become a very violent interaction and often leads to um, actual physical harm. Mm, such brilliant um, advice there and guidance for us. And, and as we know that those feelings of humiliation do sit and fester and, and create even larger issues down the road if we're not really facing that. So what a, what a beautiful invitation for all of us to do that work on our own. Thank you. Sila, we're going to take a break. And um, this is, there's so much, I, I don't know where to go, but I want to learn more about your organization. I also want to let our listeners know what they can do. Um, the Business Plan for Peace has some really concrete and specific recommendations and an invitation for all of us to do our part here. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, more with the business plan for peace and Scylla Elworthy. This message is for all of you sitting in the passenger seat and apologies if it gets a little uncomfortable, but how does it feel to be at the mercy of someone who thinks a random text is more important than your life? Someone who takes their eyes off the road while speeding along in a three-ton hunk of steel. Freaky, right? Well, why not just ask them to stop? Or better yet, volunteer to text for them. It might be a little awkward, but believe me, you'll live. Learn more at StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Hi, this is Josh Groban. My favorite thing about music is its ability to inspire and nourish the soul. That's why I'm proud to work with Feeding America, an organization that inspires hope for families in need and helps nourish the 16 million kids in this country struggling with hunger. The Feeding America nationwide network of food banks gathers surplus food and helps get it to kids in need. But they can't do it alone. Find out how you can help at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Dave, what are you doing? Just sending a gift to Dave2037. Who? Me in the future. I save a little money from every paycheck as a gift to Dave2037 so he can spend it on things like anti-gravity boots or a hologram Doberman. Something cool like that. I think Dave2037 deserves it. He worked hard. What are you getting Steve2037? I guess I was thinking Steve2037 would just fend for himself. Well, all right, but don't expect to be borrowing my anti-gravity boots. 
You want to have money in your future? You got to start saving now. Putting some money from every paycheck into a savings account or contributing to your 401k can make a big difference later. Put away a few bucks, feel like a million bucks. For free ideas and easy ways to save, go to feedthepig.org. That's feedthepig.org. Hey, Let's just hope Steve 2037 doesn't get his hands on a cold time machine because he is going to come back here and knock some sense into you. This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. Kids have the craziest ideas about food. Where do they get this stuff? Like eating Brussels sprouts helps you hit home runs. And eating carrots gives you x-ray vision. It's nuts. And I honestly have no idea where my daughter got this notion that broccoli is the official food of professional ballerinas. Kids, the only reason my four-year-old loves cantaloupe is because he's convinced it comes from the moon. One small step for man, lots of potassium for mankind. And the other day when my oldest came up to me and said, Mom, will eating peas and carrots really help me pull off a fakey frontside ollie with a twist? I look him in the eye and say... It can't hurt, honey. It can't hurt. Moms everywhere are finding creative ways to help their kids eat five servings of fruit and vegetables a day. Get ideas, get involved, get going at letsmove.gov. Brought to you by the USDA, HHS, and the Ad Council. You found Empower Radio. It's like sunshine for your soul. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and perhaps listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. Also, stay connected all week on my Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. I invite you to be a more conscious, courageous, and compassionate co-creator of the beautiful, healthy world we depend on. Come work with me. There are lots of different ways you can do that. And you can check out those opportunities at juliecrawl.com as well. I'm here with Scylla Elworthy, and she's the author of The Business Plan for Peace and also running the new organization, The Business Plan for Peace. Go learn more at thebusinessplanforpeace.org. We're going to talk about that organization in just a minute, but you can check it out at thebusinessplanforpeace.org. And Silla, you, you write that peace processes that work are founded on a broad spectrum of initiatives in which citizens play a full part. I'm looking forward to this part of the show because I think it's really important that we can give our listeners some real concrete and specific things that, that they can do to make a difference. This topic is so overwhelming to most people. They feel disempowered, like there's absolutely nothing I can do to make a difference. And you say different. Can you speak a little bit to that? Oh, yes, I can with pleasure. Um, there, in my 45, 50 years working on the issue of conflict and how it can be prevented or dealt with, I've found so many localized examples of what people do in their everyday lives that actually <clears throat> stops violence in its tracks. Um, I can give you some examples. Let's, um, let's just touch on the corporate, the boardroom, the uh, fights that go on in business. Um, I've worked for six years coaching 
the global leadership teams of one of the biggest luxury goods companies in the world. <clears throat> and the first thing I taught them to do was to listen. I believe that listening is the fastest way to dissolve and um, and uh, re, re reorganize one's thinking about conflict. So uh, what I asked them to do was to sit in pairs. You can do this with anybody that you have a conflict with. I'll tell you how it works. The magic words are, would you be willing? And you could say to somebody with whom you have a conflict, would you be willing to spend half an hour with me and let us look at the conflict that we have uh, in a non-violent way. Uh, and what we'll do is this. I'll ask you to speak for five minutes about our conflict in the first person, not pointing finger. And I will listen to you so carefully that I will then feed back to you what I've heard and not just your words, but what I perceive as the emotions behind the words. And you can tell me if I'm right or not. And then we'll change over. And I will do, I will do the same. I will speak in the first person, not pointing finger, about my what my feelings are about the conflict that we have. And I'll ask you afterwards to feed back to me what you've heard and what you think are my feelings. And we can check if if you're right. And what happens in that process is that we move from the brain, the mind that says, I'm right and she's wrong, to the heart that says, oh my goodness, is that how she feels? And once we do that, we've got a bridge. We've got a bridge over which we can walk to meet each other, to find a solution, because we are understanding from the heart level. And I've never known this fail. And in fact, this company, this corporate, uh, is huge corporate, uh, found that <clears throat> when they practiced this over a three-month period, they said, what you taught us enables us to resolve in 15 minutes what would have taken four hours and still not been resolved. So this is the way to use your intelligence, your heart intelligence, to um, resolve and reconcile a conflict. So that's just one of the skills that we can learn. There are loads of others in the back of my book and loads of examples of what um, actual citizens are doing to resolve bigger conflicts. Um, I've got many examples from all over the world of what people are doing to actually, for example, prevent suicide bombing. And I can tell you about that if you like. I think that's a, a good story. I'd love to hear about that. But I just want to pause for a moment, Scylla, and just presence the role of hearts. Because the example that you gave us is a corporate boardroom. And yet, even through through the research of heart math and, and other movements, we're finding it safe and inviting to bring our hearts to work. And I, I feel like the solutions, this whole system shift and the whole system strategy has to bring the heart into lead. 
do you agree with that or what would you say about that? No, yes. The heart is where it changes, where everything changes. Um, the heart is <clears throat> sends more messages to the brain than it receives from the brain. It's so powerful. And as soon as we take <clears throat> even just a couple of minutes to get into the heart, to breathe deeply in the heart, that changes everything in my experience and in the experience of the hundreds of thousands of people who work with the heart math techniques. Yeah, beautiful. Okay, I think that I, I would love to hear you speak about the strategies to prevent suicide bombers because I think, again, we as citizens feel like this is so big and so powerful, and yet you give a story of one person making a huge difference. Can you share that? Yes. Her name is Gululai Ismail, and she was raised in the Swat Valley in northwestern Pakistan, which is a very dangerous place to be a woman. And what she did was to start at age 16 getting young girls into school with her colleague Malala Yousafzai, who you may remember got shot in the head for that and then won the Nobel Peace Prize. Now, Gulilai, completely undeterred by the shooting, carried on and now she has trained teams of young men and young women to go into the madrasas, the religious schools, where young men are being trained for what's called jihad. Uh, and because they believe that will bring them almost sainthood to carry out a suicide bombing. So her trainees go home with these young jihadis to their families and discuss with the parents why the Quran would not approve of suicide bombing. And they have so far dissuaded over 200 young men from carrying out their bombing mission. And that to me is the most extraordinary uh, methodology of actually preventing the carnage of any suicide bombing and requires great courage. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. Well, I'm wondering, there's a lot of online initiatives, there's on the ground initiatives. And um, the example that you gave is someone that's right there in the middle of conflict zones. What can those who are pretty much isolated from the conflict zones do? Like someone sitting here in the United States listening to our show today, what might be one of the most effective strategies that they can implement to really support this movement? Well, um, I know that you've had a lot of terrifying and fatal shootings in schools in the United States. <clears throat> and I know that um, it's very hard for uh, people in localities to identify who might be sufficiently troubled that they would want to do such a thing as killing children in a school. Um, so what I would suggest is that people be vigilant and, and actually thoughtful about anybody that they know who may be very depressed. For example, a lot of young people come to me today and say, we're so depressed about the state of the world. Uh, we, we don't know what to do. Can you help? 
Um, and what I say to them is, okay, tell me, what is it that breaks your heart? And they think about that and they tell me, it may be wounded animals, it may be refugee children, it may be the environment that they're upset about. And so I say, okay, now, what are your main skills? And so are you good at fundraising online? Are you good at social media? Are you good at gathering a group of friends to help you? And then I say, well, match your best skill with what breaks your heart. And I can guarantee that within a few weeks, you will have a team of people coming to help you work on what breaks your heart, whatever it is, to develop a strategy, to develop a methodology and a way to do it. And that gives young people hope where there is despair. It gives, it gives people the sensitivity to detect and listen to people in their environment who may be very distressed or very depressed. Um, and find a way to open uh, a, a, com a, a conversation with them, a connection. Because most of the people who carry out such terrible acts are desperately alone. They are often, they've suffered terribly in their own childhood. And uh, what they're looking for is some notoriety, some fame, actually. A lot of suicide bombers. Uh, carry out their suicide bombings because they want, even if they're dead, to have their pictures on the front page of the paper. And actually, what the Prime Minister of New Zealand did when there was a suicide bombing in Christchurch, New Zealand, she immediately donned a headscarf because it was a suicide bombing in a mask. And it was... Um, she donned a headscarf in solidarity and she immediately showed how much she cared and she immediately ordered the media not to feature the bombers as um, people worthy of having their pictures in the paper or their names even, because that makes kind of heroism and death for them. And that has to be forbidden. Uh, it didn't happen when there was a terrible bombing in Paris. The bombers' pictures were all over the place. And that's, in a way, mistakenly, of course, what they want. So there are all sorts of things that we can do to make our environments safer. And one of the strongest is to find any way that you can to bring calm into, the, into your child's school. Um, one friend of mine was very distressed about bullying in her child's school, the primary school in my village, actually. And what she did was to go to the head teacher and say, would you mind, would you be willing if I was to come into the school before school starts in the day and lead the children in just five minutes of quietness and meditation? And the head teacher said, oh, well, okay, if you want to. And so she led the children 
in, um, they, she suggested they could lie down or sit, whichever they wanted, and watch their tummies going up and down as they breathed in and out, slowly and deeply. And she gave them some calming stories as they did this and encouraged them to keep going with this deep and lovely slow breathing. <coughs> Excuse me. And the result was that the head teacher said after a week, she'd noticed that the concentration of the students had increased. And after two weeks, that bullying in the playground had almost disappeared because the children were in a different frame of mind. And mm. that's something that any of us can do. Yeah. Great example. And, you know, thank you for bringing in the idea of school shootings. Um, to me, I just had an epiphany. Um, number one, I just wanted to make this connection that we know as, as a psychologist myself that a lot of those school shooters go back to that root of humiliation again. So brilliant example. Thank you for that. And then I, I want to rename your book. Scylla, because it's the business plan for peace and the subtitle is building a world without war and I want to add and violence because we can pick up this book and deal with the war that's going on in the United States right now is a lot of this violence and it's the same thing and you're treating it the same way. So what a brilliant example to bring up for us that this isn't about those wars over there. This is about the violence that's endemic in our culture everywhere, every here. Our friend Barbara Mark Schubert would say every here. It's, it's, it's that big. Yes, Julia, thank you. And um, at the back of the book is um, a toolbox with some of the things I've mentioned to you on this program and a lot more tools that you can very easily take on uh, for yourself to, to calm conflict. And if I can just give the website where you can get the book, it's much better contribution to us than buying it from Amazon, which you can also do. But if you go on my website, which is just www.sillaelworthy.com, or you can go on the website of the Business Plan for Peace, which is the Business Plan for Peace, all one word, dot org. And in both cases, you'll be able to order online, and that benefits the work that we do. Excellent. So, in two minutes, I'm sorry these examples were so beautiful, but we have about two to three minutes. I'd love to hear you speak about the organization and how we can support you. Oh, that's very kind. Um, well, we've I thought that when I'd finished writing this book, I could just relax and go and do my gardening. And no, no chance. Uh, because people came forward and said, we want to carry out some of the initiatives in your book. So we're now taking forward four of the initiatives that you'll find in the book. Um, and we're also talking to investors, uh, impact investors who want to get behind some of the initiatives that we describe and propose. And those who read the book um, will find that there are addresses in there and ways that you can support us, particularly also on these two websites that I've mentioned. Um, we welcome your contributions, whether financial or ideas. 
and we would love to have you join our online community because that's where people learn more. Um, last year, I did a 12-month online course on the book with Sheva Carr of Heart Ambassadors. And you can, I think you can still buy that 12-part online course, which is a sort of 12-part um, version of what uh, Dr. Julie and I have been talking about this afternoon. Thank you, Julie. Beautiful. Well, thank you, Scylla. This has been really uh, an important conversation that I have such deep reverence for your work and just honor your voice in the world and and having you pull this together in such a comprehensive yet I know it sounds silly when I say simplistic way, but it truly is a beautiful meta design for building peace on our planet. So thank you so much for your contributions and for, for sharing this with us here today. You're very welcome. I've been happy to talk to you. Oh, beautiful. And I want to leave you listeners with words of Sila. And you can find these words and so many more in this book. I encourage you to go to those websites she suggested. And Sila says, you may not realize how profoundly you are needed in the world today and how the world longs for you to be of service. We are going through such fundamental changes, changes that may be unnerving and frightening but which are the necessary disruptive precursors to a new stage in the evolution of humanity. We are being invited to be a part of a leap in human consciousness, a shift that will enable us to act as balanced, empathic, whole people capable of working together for the benefit of us all. You've been listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Remember, together we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now.